This is kind of exciting. A new era. I was going to call it next generation, but that would have been too obvious. But it's a new era. We're going to take a little side trip from our series on the fruit of the Spirit, but uh, I want you to keep the fruit of the Spirit in the background for this message, mostly because it literally is in the background of these nice slides that was from fancy typography from Vivian Scott. So yes, if you're very observant, you'll see, you'll see them. And let's jump into the message. As a board, we recognize that this is a pivotal moment in Granville's history. After COVID and the passing of Pastor Andy, a shrinking staff and congregation, a search for a new lead pastor, the words of the classic Bob Dylan song came to mind. For the times, they are a-changing. I was going to do a Bob Dylan impression, but I'm going to save you from that one. A whole new era is actually about to unfold. And one of the tools that we need to revisit was our vision and values. Now, these are one way to define who we are, which would be critical uh, to inform the new lead pastor who they're actually going to be connecting to. And the vision and values could also act as a refreshed rally call to launch this new era. And let me just get this one ready. Uh, keep that in mind as we move on. So here we are, having now completed the process of visioning and valuing, which was the result of an intensive process of discussion and prayer and more discussion and more prayer by the board and then widening the circles uh, to gain input from the staff and then the ministry leaders and the whole congregation and finally anybody uh, and us trying to discern God's voice through this whole process. So with no further ado, these are them. It is a community reflecting Jesus, and the values are people, prayer, grace, generosity, and engagement. And also, as you can see, it's going to be incorporated into our logo as well. Just one more thing about the background of these slides. The fruit of the Spirit is actually a reflection of Jesus. And in the, in the water, you can kind of see that even one drop of the water of life from Jesus initiates the radiating ripples that are our Christ-centered impact on the world. Just like the, the bless um, poster out in the foyer. Now I had the pleasure of sifting through over 500 post-it notes, good times. Yeah, with, uh, with my son-in-law Matthew's help. And it's always interesting what you get when you throw things open to people's ideas. Uh, for example, I thought the post-it with the idea of a corporate jet for staff was actually pretty interesting. Now, just keep in mind, you are voting on the budget later, so. I mean, we really had no idea what to expect when we opened it up like that. Fortunately, it, it didn't turn out that we would be the punchline of, of an old joke, which goes, what do you get when you have four Christians in a room 
you get six opinions. You know, we have all these denominations and all that. So anyway, that's an old one. But what we found instead was that the big majority actually resonated with the vision and values. Not everyone, but nearly everyone. And to us on the board, it was a clear confirmation of what God was actually leading us to. But so what? How does that impact us? And that's what this message is about. And I'm going to zero in on primarily the vision statement for this message. It's a story that I'm going to tell in three chapters, with each chapter having a focal verse and a little reflection as well. Chapter one is going to be wrapped around the phrase image bearers. And chapter two will be centered around the phrase it is finished. And chapter three is going to conclude the story with reflecting Jesus. Let's open our story in chapter one. This is what I feel like a lot in some mornings. Now, I'm going to begin the chapter with a, a quote that I actually like and I've used before, and it's from theologian and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright. And it goes, we're summoned to become a character in his story, and suddenly everything looks different. When we talk about reflecting and image, there's actually a bigger story that we're in. And since I quoted him already, I thought we should actually view a video where he talks about some of the theology behind image bearing. And I actually was first going to just take the points from this video, but I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do it justice. And so I decided that we should just watch it. And so this is going to be three minutes of Dr. Wright. The picture I often use to help people understand what Genesis means by the image of God and indeed what um, Paul means by the image of God because he uses that as well um, is the image of an angled mirror. We often think of an image as being a mirror. Here's a mirror. I'm looking at it. I'm seeing it myself. But supposing we have an angled mirror. I remember when I was a small boy um, being ill in bed and uh, uh, my mother lined up a mirror in the doorway of my room so that through that mirror I could see her and other family members coming and going in the hallway outside my room so that I didn't feel so isolated and alone. And the point about the angled mirror is that you can see in both directions. And uh, it seems to me that God has put humans like an angled mirror in his world so that God can reflect his love and care and stewardship of the world through humans and so that the rest of the world can praise the creator through humans. And the way this comes out in many biblical passages is to see God's people. You get this in Exodus 19, you get it in the book of Revelation, you get it actually in Paul as well. See God's people as uh, the royal priesthood. The priesthood because they are summing up the praises of creation, presenting it before God. So when, when humans praise God, they ought to realize that they are doing so as the representatives of the whole world, reflecting the rest of the world to God. But when humans are looking after creation and bringing God's healing, restorative justice to creation in all sorts of different ways, there they are reflecting God into the world. So that the image of God is not, I think, 
something about us, our memory or our conscience or our imagination or our spirituality or our reason. Or, theologians have tried all that as though there was something about us which is exactly like God. No doubt a lot of that is true, but I think it's a much more creative, much more uh, dynamic picture. Um, the, the priests and the kings, or kings and queens, uh, reflecting God to the world and the world to God. And I see the, the human vocation and the Christian vocation as being to recover, to recapture that image. Paul talks in Colossians about being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. And it seems to me if we actually looked at our own vocation vis-a-vis -vis the world like that, all sorts of things about how we treat the world, how we act responsibly within it, would uh, appear in quite a different light, which could be very healthy. Okay, so our focal verse for chapter one is, is this, Genesis 1, 26, and just the first part we'll start with. Let's make mankind in our own image, in our likeness. In this verse, we learn that all people are created in the image of God. This is the dignity and the glory of humankind. The impact of this is actually multifaceted, but one key point is to view people through that lens. How you view people actually matters. Throughout history, people have been sucked into the tribalism that can appear in all of us, and we so easily set up us and them categories. Modern Christianity is not immune in spite of the New Testament telling us that the main people making the us and them divisions were the Pharisees. Jesus, on the other hand, was the one interacting with sinners all the time and breaking any divisions. So we have to struggle with the question, do the categories that we so easily put people into contribute giving us license to rob people of their God-ordained dignity. I'll say it again, do the categories we so easily put people into contribute to giving us license to rob people of their God-ordained dignity? One practical example of answering no to that question is the whole neighboring movement that Barry Jung is engaged with which is based on seeing people as image bearers. And we wanted to ensure that our new vision and values left an open door for just that kind of initiative. One of our newly minted Granville values is people, and the descriptor of that value says, we embrace that all people are created in the image of God, and we are a diverse community woven together for his purposes. And James chapter nine kind of comes at it from a different angle when it says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And it goes on to say that's a bad thing, by the way. I'll end chapter one with a quote from Barbara Brown Taylor. She's an Episcopal priest and was a professor of Christian spirituality at Columbia Divinity School. And it was kind of too long to put up, so I'm just going to read it. I asked God for religious certainty, and God gave me relationships instead. I asked for solid ground, and God gave me human beings instead. Strange, funny, 
compelling, complicated human beings who kept puncturing my stereotypes, challenging my ideas, and upsetting my ideas about God so that they're always under construction. I may yet find the answer to all my questions in a church, a book, a theology, or a practice of prayer, but I hope not. I hope God is going to keep coming to me in authentically human beings who shake my foundations, freeing me to go deeper into the mystery of why we're all here. This brings us to chapter two. It is finished. Finishing a mirror cleaning product is something I could really see myself doing. Yeah, okay, Sunday morning, it's tough, I know. <laughs> stay with us, people, stay with us, let's go. The focal verse of this particular chapter is this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The chapter title, It Is Finished, is a familiar quote to most Christians. It's what Jesus proclaimed at his crucifixion just before he died. What did he mean? The ultimate and final substitutionary sacrifice was done? For sure, he meant that. But I want to share a little bit of a bigger explanation that I find compelling. Chapter one of our story this morning started with Genesis 1.26. The words of Genesis are very purposefully written. God created the universe. And not the way we create things with pre-existing material. God created using a theological term, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. In the creation account, we see his creative power in action. Day one, let there be light. Day two, let there be separation between sky and sea. Day three, let there be sea and land with vegetation. Day four, let there be lights to separate day and night. Day five, let there be fish and birds. And day six, let there be animals. But then comes a fascinating, very distinct change of language. Up to this point, he's been giving what are called divine fiats. Fiat is a Latin term meaning a command by which something is created or done with no further effort. God has been issuing these divine fiats through the whole beginning of Genesis. Let there be. Let there be. God speaks it, and it's done. But let's look again at all of verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You can see pretty quickly that in terms of effectiveness, humanity has kind of blown the rule over piece, which is supposed to be about care and stewardship and God's love showered on creation. Nope, it's not what happened for us. But what if we were created to be like that, but we're not? What's the path? What are we supposed to be like? Or more accurately, to give away the ending of the whole thing, who are we supposed to be like? I draw your attention to the phrase in that verse, let us make. Words unused up to that point. 
Not a point action like the divine fiat, let it be, but a process, a course of action. God launches the human project. Hence the grand story, the gospel of all creation. God who made people in his image becomes one. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. There we go. This one's also kind of long. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He's forced open the door that has locked, been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he's done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has been opened. Christ becomes not only the model of what a human being is supposed to be, but at the same time the pathway through whom we fully realize our human beingness. Something only the creator God, whose scripture says in Jesus is mysteriously 100% God, yet 100% human. That's the only way it could have been done. So after the Let Us Make project was launched at the beginning of creation, it comes to its fruition in Jesus, who sacrifices himself for all of our sin, declaring in his final words from the cross about the project, what? It is finished. It's a declaration that the archetype is in place and the way has been paved for us to transcend our current state, corrupted by sin, the culmination of what we were always meant to be. Jesus comes from the Father to take us back as new creations to him from whom we first came. This brings us to the final chapter, reflecting Jesus. If you don't clean your mirror, it reflects on you badly. Oh, come on, not even a chuckle. Gee, people. I mean, really. Okay, <laughs> so 2 Corinthians. And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. If you remember, Tim McIntosh actually had this verse as a verse for his point about transformation in his Pentecost message two weeks ago, and we didn't collaborate at all. It's, it's one of the instances that I've been seeing over and over, the whole process where you go, hmm, is it odd or is it God? Okay, now you chuckle, great. <laughs> in our new vision and values, the descriptor for our vision statement actually says, People living incarnationally. Now, the incarnation is a theological term for God becoming a human being. People living incarnationally by embodying Jesus to others, by emulating Christ in relationship to the Father, to others, to self, and to creation. Also, to live a life shaped by Jesus' teaching, loving power, and sacrifice. And all this is possible no matter our differences. Without him, 
There actually is no us. Colossians puts it this way. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And that's, we heard that from Dr. Wright, but it goes on to say here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. I talked a little bit earlier about the vision being a rallying point. And this is one of the things that we thought, because some people kind of ask, well, you know, why did you even want it? What's wrong? There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Why did you change it? Okay? And, but it, it's one of the things where we thought our previous vision statement maybe fell a bit short. You know, the one spiritually vibrant community transformed by God, the one that the majority of the congregation didn't remember, and even though we said it every Sunday, <laughs> it did say who we were, but it really didn't have the substantial impact that we thought it could. The words of any vision statement are only words on a page somewhere unless people embrace it to inform their actions. For this new point in Granville's history, our vision needed to be more. A community reflecting Jesus is short, but that's what makes it memorable. Based on all we've seen this morning, short by no means means incomplete or inadequate. This is actually the biggest all-encompassing vision we could ever hope to have. It's at the same time now and not yet. How big is it? For example, here's a diagram. Can you make the small, font smaller, Wayne? No, I can't. That's as small as I can make it. Um, so just get a feeling for it. You don't have to read every piece. But here's a diagram of how our vision is actually connected to multiple facets of our Christian lives. Areas that it could speak to and where we can actually take it over the next year and this new Granville era. A community reflecting Jesus has the potential to impact actually our daily lives in ways our previous or a longer version could actually never do. About 25 years ago, a movement within the Christian community positively, positively affected thousands and thousands of people. It unfortunately has become kind of a ridiculed meme in our culture who's, who have dismissed it and dismissed the behaviors that it molded and the actions that it shaped. Out of the blue, last week, Mike actually mentioned it, and again, we didn't collaborate. I actually had written this before his sermon. It was the saying, usually on a bracelet, WWJD, which stands for... <laughs> you see, it did have impact. A question to ask. A reminder to hold yourself accountable to love. It's my hope and prayer that we all can take Granville's vision, a community reflecting Jesus, in to our daily existence. That it isn't a saying on a website or in a bulletin, but a rallying call. 
to remind ourselves of who we really are, his priests in this temple of creation, just like Jesus, our high priest, his ambassadors, just like Jesus was for his father, his image bearers, just like it says in Colossians 1.15, the son is the image of the invisible God and his new creations. Reflecting Jesus isn't uh, a typical process that you gather all you need to gain independence, but being like him actually draws us into further dependence on him. Like he modeled being dependent on the Father. We let him have everything, so all there's left to see is him. So here's a little recap from this morning. Chapter 1, image bearers. The story starts with the broad understanding that every individual is a creation of God who carries his image. This should be the first filter that we use to interact with others. Chapter 2, it is finished. The story narrows to reveal Jesus is the completed, fully realized human. Without him, we will not fully realize what we're created to be. He alone is uniquely qualified to be the one we we reflect. And chapter three, reflecting Jesus. The story concludes with the call that we are made to reflect Jesus in relation to all things because the image of God is insanely relational. Just think of the Trinity. And to participate also in his reconciliation of all things, being his priests and his ambassadors. The ending of my story this morning becomes the exciting beginning for a new era at Granville as we're all summoned into his story. Now, we're going to provide you with a memento to mark this occasion uh, and a little help for you to be part of the vision as well. After the final songs, the board is actually going to distribute two items. Uh, The first is a flyer that has all the vision and values on it, a really nice job done by the staff, so you'll get that, just so you can take it home and memorize it, because now it's so long now. Hopefully you can get it pretty quick. Now, the next thing that we'll give you is a little memory device. Uh, It's a small mirror. All right, now, we are going to have communion. It looks like a communion wafer. Don't eat it, okay? It's a small mirror. It has a plastic film on it, because we only see through the glass darkly. It has a plastic film on it that then reveals the reflective surface. And then on the back, there's another little uh, piece of paper that then makes it sticky. You can peel it off and again make it sticky. Remind yourself with it about whose reflection you see in the mirror. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your bathroom mirror to look at each day. Put it on your phone. Put it on your laptop. Or if you're courageous, put it on the dashboard of your car. That's a challenging one, just like Mike's opening story last week. I've seen how we drive all around here, okay? I actually just saw another 
meme this morning that was kind of funny. It, it, it basically said, if you, don't, if you aren't swearing when you drive, you're probably not paying attention. <laughs> Driving is challenging for a lot of us. May we take to heart our new vision statement as individuals woven together as a congregation and allow him to transform us so we can share with the world what they are literally dying for. Let's pray. Lord, may we catch the vision of our new vision, which was started at the beginning of creation, so we can launch into this new era of Granville and be a community reflecting Jesus. Amen.